Now we're reading from the book of Luke in chapter 23, and we're reading verses 1 to 34. So Luke 23, starting in verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you king of the Jews? And he answered them, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea and Galilee, even to this place. <clears throat> then when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. <clears throat> when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he'd heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other, that very day, for before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I'll therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man and lead to us Barabbas, a man who'd been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. And behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two other who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. 
And when they came to the place that's called the skull, with there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Morning, Chapel Street. Morning, Chapel Street Online. It's, um, for me, it's nice to be out of isolation. I was going stir crazy. I wasn't fortunate enough to have all these major symptoms. Um, so I think, oh, I'll just go and get, oh, that's right, I can't. Okay, we'll go and do something else. I'll just go and, <clears throat> That's right, I can't. So thank you for those who have um, texted me uh, during the week and um, sort of um, conveyed their thoughts to me. I really appreciate that. And it shows that as a body of Christ, we can support each other even though we can't see each other. So, um, so thank you for your support. And I pray that we all support everybody else who is... Um, going through that at the moment and and pray that that their symptoms won't be too severe now to put um today's passage into context we need to go back a couple of chapters to find out where we're situated because the, the chapter starts this morning with just a continuation of the story and the chief priests and the elders led Jesus off to Pilate. What were they doing with Jesus? So if we go back a couple of chapters, we can see that it's the time of the Passover. So we're in Jerusalem. The, uh, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the, the, um, the officers of the temple guard have actually come and they've taken Jesus away from the Mount of Olives. So before we actually get into the message, let's just, um, let's just pray and we'll pray that God will open our hearts to this. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for, for the message today and I pray that your words will be proclaimed, that we will learn that we need to have a response to you. Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. I actually found going through this passage that um, I identified with two groups of people or two people groups. I said that, didn't I? <laughs> and... It'd be interesting to see if you respond or react or identify with a certain number of people or just a certain one, one particular group. So if you remember back to last week's message, last week's passage, Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives to pray and um, his disciples followed him. 
Jesus encouraged them to pray so that they would not fall into temptation. And if you remember back to last week's message, Sam actually spoke about this, about falling into temptation, how easy it was to be tempted not to come to church, to be tempted to do something that will draw us away from God. But the disciples fell asleep. And while Jesus, was talk- Jesus went and woke up the disciples and while he was talking to them, Judas had a lynch mob and came up to Jesus to kiss him. Now, Jesus knew who was leading the lynch mob, the priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders. They led him away to the high priest, to the house of the high priest. So, so straight away, we find out who is involved in Jesus' arrest. So they go and question Jesus. In the meantime, Peter follows along behind and is asked three times, you're with this man? No, not me. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Afterwards, the guards begin to mock and beat Jesus. Then at daybreak, the council of the eldership of the people consisting of chief priests, the teachers of the law or the leadership, they ask him, are you the Messiah? Tell us. Jesus answered, I tell you, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. So they all asked him, are you the Son of God? And Jesus replied, you say that I am. Now, they basically made up their own minds and said, that's it. We don't need any more information. We don't need any more testimony. We've heard it from his own lips. And this is where we pick up today's passage. Then the leadership rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse Jesus by saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. And when I read that word subverting, I'm going, I don't know what that means. So I looked it up and it means to undermine the power and authority of an established system or institution. So the leadership was saying that he was trying to undermine the Roman rule. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be a Messiah, a king. Now, I'd like to stop there just for a moment to consider something. The picture painted here of the leadership's charges against Jesus shows that they rejected him so thoroughly that they could even misrepresent what he is about. But this misrepresentation still had a skerrick of truth in it. So they are right when they say that Jesus is a king, but they fail to appreciate that role other than to see it as a threat. And the leadership in its hostility looks too insistent to be in the right 
we always say, you know, I'm in the right because I believe this, or I, I believe they're in the right because they believe this. But they seem to be too insistent. They've fabricated charges and rejected a solution that would spare an innocent life. They have pressed for execution. Now, just as a side note, Luke leads the reader to see that there was something criminal in Jesus' death. And it was not Jesus. The determination to get rid of Jesus and his perceived threat is a hard-heartedness that comes often with the rejection of him. When people are hostile to Jesus, they also fail to understand him. And if they do understand his key claims, they reject them completely without allowing themselves to even think about it or discuss it. So basically, there's no right of reply. No, I've heard it. I've had enough. Don't want to hear anymore. Things have not changed much in 2,000 years. I heard a story from a mother whose son worked at, the, at a university and was researching the cause of the hole in the ozone layer. His research led him in an opposite direction to that what was being published. He spoke to his management as to his findings and he got told in no uncertain terms that he was wrong. He argued with him that his research was proving otherwise and they argued back and sacked him from the university. So just because this fellow had the truth, it wasn't the majority rule, gone. Similar to Jesus' story. Jesus told the truth. Jesus is the truth. And yet he got rejected by the people. When people speak the truth from the Bible, they get rejected or criticized for their wrong thinking. It seems like the noisy minority speak out against Jesus and his word, while the silent majority. And some of us are Christians, just let them do it. People like John MacArthur, Josh McDowell, Israel Folau, and others. People who teach the Bible as it is written get rejected because it does not sit well with society norms. Society says that the biblical teachings on homosexuality women in leadership roles in churches, gay marriage, and a whole range of other topics are offensive to the non-Christians. And the thing that most people think is that the Bible is outdated. It's not in keeping with the way society is changing. So they're basically saying, this is not the way to think about it. That's not how everybody else thinks about it, so it's wrong. Well, we know 
that God and his word are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and tomorrow. And we we are reminded of that in Paul's letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8, where he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God is current. God is new. And his word is truth. You know, just before Jesus was arrested, Jesus prayed for his disciples. And he said, I'm coming to you now. I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and your word has hated, the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is that you, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, so we pick up the story again in Luke 23, where the people who had already rejected Jesus led him off to Pilate. Pilate heard the accusations, so he questioned Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' response was very simple. You have said so. Pilate announced Jesus' accusers, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But the leadership, led by the chief priests, insisted he stirs up all people all over Judea by his teachings. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. So Pilate knew that Herod was in town and Herod's jurisdiction was Galilee. So he said, oh, I can fix this. I'll send him off to Herod. He sort of gets a light bulb moment and gives the responsibility over to Herod. And Herod just happened to be in Jerusalem. Why was he in Jerusalem? Wasn't the Roman guard enough? It was the Passover festival, so there's crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds of people. And he brought soldiers with him to keep control over the crowds. It's, it's a little bit like... Um, the Oxley, Oxley Area Command bringing in extra personnel for the Country Music Festival or down to parks for the Elvis Festival to keep control of the crowd. Now, the interesting thing is that Herod wanted to meet Jesus for a long time. Not because he wanted to hear what Jesus said, but to see him perform a sign of some sort. So sort of like, I reckon if I see a sign, then I'll believe. So Herod plied him with questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. Now, being human, you would think that Jesus would try to defend himself. But Jesus knew Herod's heart. He didn't want to hear the word of God. 
He wanted to see a sign. So Jesus didn't answer him. But in the background, all the while, the chief priests, the teachers of the law were there. And they were still throwing accusations and they were getting um, quite heated. The Bible says vehemently. Then Herod and his soldiers mocked Jesus and ridiculed him. They dressed in an elegant robe and sent him straight back to Pilate. Pilate felt empowered by this because Herod had supported his view that this man was innocent. And before this, they had been enemies. All of a sudden, they became friends. Herod and Pilate rejected Christ, but they both sat on the fence. They're more subtle. They didn't react against Jesus. They were neutral. In other words, he's not guilty, but neither is he to be believed. They had little respect and they don't even, they don't even respond to him as he deserves. Both Pilate's and Herod's act, sorry, sorry, failure to act on Jesus' innocence is also a form of cowardice. Pilate represents a figure caught on the other end of the popular wave. Here is a man who tests the wind more than assesses the truth of Jesus' claim. He knows in his heart some degree of truth about the situation, but he doesn't stand up to his responsibility. Our world contains a host of claims about Jesus. Some include the misrepresentations of Jesus as the leadership makes before Pilate, with suggestions that evangelists and apostles distorted the true portrait of Jesus. These claims often leave people bewildered and confused, much like Pilate. The only way to respond to Jesus' claims is to read them for ourselves. One of the most effective tool, one often the most effective tool for preventing the kind of indecision Pilate has is to examine the claims directly and to stop listening to the voices. The denial of testimony given by Jesus and those who walked with him leave Pilate in a dilemma and he solves by opening up the deliberations in the hope that sense might spare Jesus. Okay, so we have one group of people who are actively rejecting Jesus. We've got another group of people who are subtly rejecting Jesus. Now a third group of people come into the picture and they represent something that is not quite right. Days before, they hailed Jesus as king. They waved palm branches before him and laid their coats on the road saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, however, a murderer is better than Jesus. In just a few days, everything has changed. 
if you remember back to the story of the Israelites, they heard God's voice. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he said, don't come too close to the base of the mountain, otherwise you'll die. Then when the Israelites heard God's voice, they said, Moses, you tell us what God's word are, words are, because if we hear God's voice, we're going to die. And the whole Israelite community was of one accord. Don't let God talk to us. Otherwise, we're going to die. You give us his words. Then, not long after that, Moses went up into the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights with God while God was inscribing on the tablets. The Israelites grew restless. It didn't take them long for them to go against everything that had been said. And they asked Aaron to make them an image. Yeah, I always marvel at Aaron's response to Moses after he come down from the mountain. He said, I threw all the gold that the people had bought me into the fire and out came a golden calf. Really? All the way through history, the Israelites, the history of the Israelites, they would come close to God and worship him with all their hearts when things were at their worst and God rescued them. Then they would sway in their thinking and turn against God when things were going along okay. There was a constant cycle the whole way through the Old Testament. So we come back to our passage in Luke and find the same thing. The people are still easily swayed. They didn't seem to live by any sense of conviction. They were told to yell free Barabbas. You know, it's a bit like the protests we see today. Someone says, what do we want? The response is, more jobs or more money. When do we want it? Now. And they just repeat that and repeat that. It's a herd mentality. What do we want? Free Barabbas. When do we want it? Now, I often think with these protests that, that we see, is that really what most people really want? Or is it because they've been told to say it? So they say it just for fear that they would seem different to the crowd and be ridiculed. Does everybody want the same thing? They've got a job. Why would they be wanting more jobs? It doesn't gel with me. One commentator wrote this on our passage. Religious reflection is everybody's business, but to pursue it from a distance means being subject to shifts that are emotionally driven through, through emotionally driven than thought through. With the lack of sincere reflection comes a wild emotional swing on questions of ultimate significance. This is not unlike today where the range of emotion expended on such questions can run wildly from indifference to intense passion. The world often passes off major religious decisions 
as Pilate did. An easy approach is to take a popular vote and adopt the majority opinion. Pilate senses that in a simple public airing and vote are not the right approach, but proceeds anyway. He hopes that given the public, the choice of Barabbas versus Jesus will solve his dilemma. But in the end, public acceptance for Pilate is too important for him to make the correct decision based on the principles of justice. Now, regarding Barabbas, we never hear from him. But in a real sense, his is a story that explains Jesus. Those who know what Jesus accomplished on the cross realize the Barabbas story is our story. Jesus freed us by his death, just as Barabbas was freed. One who saves a life is owed a life. But that's all we hear of Barabbas. He is released in place of Jesus. What happened to him, we don't know. Our Christian walk is a statement of gratitude to the one who has taken our place. He did not complain as he bore the cross for the murderer and for us. He had no words of protest about injustice as he hung on Calvary for us. There was only intercession as he hung on Calvary. For those enemies who failed to understand what they had really done. And there was only forgiveness for another criminal hanging next to Jesus. who came to his senses as he contemplated what remained of his life. Those who have been rescued from the penalty of sin understand that in Barabbas' freedom is a portrait of their escape from the death through the gracious work of Jesus. Now, when we share Jesus with others, we can expect a wide range of responses to him. Some will be quite hostile, while others more disinterested just as in the trial scene that we've read this morning. They both constitute rejection. But evangelism often requires patience. At the same time, it's important to remember that even in the midst of rejection, the initial reaction may be no clue to the eventual response. Think about Saul. Who would have predicted that he would become such a passionate follower and advocate of Jesus based on his initial response to Jesus. Yet others might never change their minds. Our primary responsibility before the Lord is to continue to share what Jesus has done. As we are commanded in Matthew, go and make disciples of all nations. And we may never know if the seed we plant today will sprout years later. On the other hand, there may be a time when words become unnecessary 
All that has been said is on record and there is no need to say anymore. As Jesus went silent as the trial continued, so we may sometimes have to say in effect, I've said it all. There is nothing more to add. The process ultimately has to be left in God's hands. We all know of people that we have spoken to about God, but they've walked away. My youngest daughter, don't talk to me about God. But the interesting thing is, if we change our lifestyle, she will know that there's something wrong. And it will break her heart. Even though it breaks our heart to see her walking away. It's up to God. It's not up to us. But we need to be faithful in sharing Jesus. So, okay, so three groups of people rejected Jesus. Each different from the other. Hostility. Then we got the group that subtly rejected Jesus. And then another group, depends what the, the, um, the, the public opinion is. We don't know whether Barabbas rejected Jesus or accepted him, but we know that Jesus died in his place. So, what is the gospel? Paul writes to the Romans, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul also wrote to the Ephesians and said, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. John wrote in chapter in chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then Peter wrote in his first letter, which we've been studying in, uh, on our Thursday, Thursday night Bible study. In chapter 3, he writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. 
After being made alive in the spirit, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Jesus did this because of his love for each of us. We can have two responses. We can reject or we can accept. If we reject, that is so sad. There is no hope. There is no future. But if we accept God's free gift of grace, we can be like Barabbas and have Jesus die in our place. Jesus freed us from his death just as Barabbas was freed. Jesus has stood in our place. He has paid the penalty for our sins. And we can now stand before a holy God knowing that we are forgiven. We have been adopted into the family of God. How wonderful is that? So what group of people do you identify with? Do you identify with the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law? Do you identify with Pilate and Herod? Do you identify with the people? Do you identify with Barabbas? What is your response to Jesus? Let's pray. But I want to thank you, Lord, for your word this morning and thank you for taking our place on the cross. Lord, we all know of people who have rejected you and have walked away. Lord, we pray that they will one day be brought back to you. But Lord, I pray that you'll You'll bring us closer to you so that our response to you is acceptance of your wonderful free gift. In Jesus' name, amen.